only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. It is found on page 996 of the Blue Pew Bible. I'll give you a moment to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. May God bless the reading of his holy word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The word of the Lord. Let us pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, as the elders prayed before uh, Sunday school, we pray as a congregation in light of the uh, devastating attack in Colorado for those people, those families of victims, those who are still suffering and in danger in hospitals. Lord God, such evil is frightening, it's unsettling, it's devastating. We long, as Paul and others cried out so many times, Maranatha, come, Lord, quickly. We pray for an end to evil. Lord, this is just one little smattering of the evil that goes on every day in this world. The corruption, the killing. Oh, Lord, we pray, deliver us. Deliver this world. We do pray for those victims that... Uh, the victims' families, that you would draw them to Christ, that, Lord, this would be for them uh, not a turning away from you, not a time of cursing and blaspheming you, but, O Lord, a time of, by your grace, softening their hearts and turning them to trust you, to recognize you if they don't. And for those who do know you, Lord, we pray, draw near to them and give them your comfort in Christ Jesus, your hope in Christ Jesus, We thank you, Lord, that 
even in an event of such stark evil that you are sovereign and that in a, a way that we cannot fathom, you turn even the greatest evil for good, even as you did the evil done against your son, for no greater evil could have been perpetrated than that which was against your son, instigated directly by Satan as indicated in the Gospels, and yet you've turned it to the greatest good of the world. So we rest in your sovereignty, your sheer goodness to overcome all evil with good. And Lord, we thank you for that final day when it will be finally removed from this world, that the curse will be gone. Oh Lord, come quickly, deliver us. And in the meantime, Lord, it shows us the critical importance of proclaiming your word, proclaiming the light into the darkness, reclaiming people that they may be delivered as we have been out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son, that we may partake more and more deeply of this kingdom and exhibit that light in our lives and in our message, in our witness, in the way we live, in the way we work, in the way we love and the way we conduct our families in every way, Lord, to be an exhibition, exhibition A of the grace of God and the gospel of God at work in a people. Bless us, Lord. Bless us, Lord, in the midst of a, of a darkness that many times seems overwhelming. But you, as you said, have overcome the darkness. The darkness flees in your light and it will finally one day be removed. And you have made us, though we once were darkness, Paul says, now we are sons and daughters of the light. Make us to exhibit that true light and to proclaim that true light. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I, sometimes, uh, I sometimes get the question, what do you do all week? You know, a little bit of sarcasm and, you know, wondering. And, and of course, I answer, well, I work one hour a week. Um, well, no, maybe 15 minutes because it takes that long to download a sermon and look over it, you know, before. Uh, but outside of that hour, maybe 15 minutes. is The hourly rate is really good with this job, you know, in that regard. Um, and it's interesting, I've, I've mentioned this before, the the, the sense, kind of the vague, the look in people's eyes when they're introducing themselves to you and say, well, what do you do? I'm a minister, you know, and immediately, many times, everything changes at that point. <gasps> oh! That's the feel you get, you know. <clears throat> I don't know what they think I am. And, of course, uh, Kay has talked about, man, with all the crazies that go around, you know, preaching things and doing things, no telling what they think when I say my husband is a minister, you know. And she's probably a wacko as well, you know, because of that. <clears throat> I sometimes have been called preacher, I think in almost a pejorative way, even by members of churches at times. Not this one, never. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, almost a way, a, a way of keeping me at distance, you know. Preacher, how you doing today? You kind of want to respond and say, fine, how are you doing, pharmacist? You know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Call them by the same name, you know, or <clears throat> businessman, you know. 
Mailman, whatever. <laughs> you don't have a name either, okay? You know, like that, that's, I tend to want to do, you know, like, you know. <laughs> um, and I think some, though, use it with respect. They, they, they think it, it's an honorable thing and, and a wonderful thing that, you know, the word is proclaimed and they have some idea of the difficulty and the work involved in it. Uh, and, and I think more often probably people use the word pastor with that kind of sense of, respect and appreciation, like my dad would be called Doc, you know, and we actually use that for our grandchildren's name for him, you know, Doc and Granny, and we just love that, you know, kind of uh, respect, and and especially I've liked the children's term, Pastor Darwin, you know, that's just the kind of standard thing, and I think I've told you before that Chase, when he was young, would attempt to uh, try and get my attention after church, you know, and I wouldn't even be hearing him, you know. <laughs> Maybe he's right beside me, Daddy, Daddy, and you know, I'm all focused on ministry and shaking somebody's hand or whatever. And then finally he says in exasperation, Pastor Darwin! <laughs> Apparently that gets some, you know, action, so he uses that. I think one of the funniest things I've ever heard, uh, this guy's idea about uh, preaching, we were on vacation in Rhode Island years ago, staying at a home that we, uh, for friends of ours, and... They, uh, the, the guy in the uh, house down the road, we were visiting with him in his home, and he made piano keys out of calf femurs, okay, just so you know. And uh, he sold his piano keys mainly in Europe, and he was talking about the, the cash flow problem of you got to have money to get to Europe, but you can't get any money till you get to Europe, you know, that kind of issue. And and, and he was talking about that cash flow problem, and he said, it, it's like what you do. I'm like, oh? you know. <laughs> he says, it's like what you do. You, you get up and you say something, and if people like it, they give you money. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Just hope every week that I say the right thing, you know, so that they'll give me money. <clears throat> um, and that kind of ties in with much of what happens in the New Testament because uh, Paul again and again says that we don't preach for gain. Uh, that is, we don't compromise or sacrifice the truth and the persecution and deprivation that it might bring in order to get gain. Um, so I think Paul would say, never, you know, when he heard something like that. He would say, absolutely not. And we have before us here in 2 Timothy 4, as far as we know, the final words written by the great apostle Paul. And, of course, final words are always so important, aren't they? Uh, He writes these as a kind of last will and testament. And these very last words of this last letter, he addresses directly to his younger brother and fellow minister of the gospel, Timothy. And... In this, he says much about what a preacher is supposed to do and is supposed to be, what a preacher is. And in a way, you might think, well, you just need to take this off and study it and go do it. Why are you telling us, you know, right? Well, first of all, of course, it's the Word of God to the people of God. But it's important for all of us Of course, it's important for me to rehearse these things. It's important for our our leadership to know what we are about and to stay fixed on what we are about. And it's important for you in terms of your prayers 
in terms of your appreciation for what we even do, that you see uh, what Scripture says about preaching and that you uh, more and more pray for us, pray for me that the preaching of the Word would fall in line with all that Paul says. I say this also for some of you who may be visiting and You've got a lot of different uh, ways to judge whether you're going to belong to this church or another church. And we would say to you, based on what Paul says here, that it's got to have the Word as central to it because the thing Paul says here is to preach the Word, to be according to truth. And outside of that truth, Paul says in many places, there is no salvation whatsoever. The truth is not optional it is essential for heaven. If we don't believe and act on the truth, as we're going to see, we're lost. Well, if that truth is not even proclaimed, if it's deliberately abandoned for whatever reason, then it condemns those who hear it and follow it uh, to, uh, to loss eternally. So these are really important things for all of us to be about, to be concerned for the church worldwide, to have this prayer for the church worldwide that the church will proclaim the Word, especially in the light of the opposition to it that's described in this passage. Well, first of all, we have the arena of this charge, right? The arena of the charge. You might say the, the context or even environment or theater of this this charge, as he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Uh, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, uh, this brings to bear the fact that what, who you live before, who you should be concerned about, Timothy, is not ultimately your hearers, though you are concerned for their salvation and their well-being, of course, But you preach and must always see that you preach first and foremost in the presence of God. And that should outweigh everything else. His presence and pleasing Him, obeying Him in what you proclaim, honoring Him and doing it exactly as He says. That's why we're called ambassadors. That's why we're called stewards. A steward has something that belongs to another. And and preachers are called the stewards of the things of God. So it's not up to us to tamper with it, to make it be this or that, what we want, what somebody else wants. It what It's what God says and try to deliver that to the people as a steward, as an ambassador, because we speak in the very presence of God. And you see this in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, where Paul says, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. And however nice people may seem, however nice they act, however much they may smile on TV or otherwise, proclaiming things that are opposed specifically and purposely to the Word of God, they're disgraceful and they're underhanded. Uh, We just saw in Revelation, a spirit of deception is described as coming forth from the dragon and the beast and the false prophet as three frogs, three demonic frog spirits that go forth. That's the picture painted of all that opposes God's Word and deliberately stands against the gospel, deliberately stands against the grace of Christ and the death and resurrection of Christ. 
We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. See? Why do we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word? Because we're in the sight of God. That's what matters. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he speaks of being an aroma to Christ, of Christ to God. See, this fragrant aroma. When we preach, he says, this is an aroma and God smells. And he says, oh, that sweet aroma of proclaiming my son. It's beautiful. Love to hear my son proclaim. But this is interesting, the context. He says, we're this aroma among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Some people refuse it. Some people don't believe it. Still, the sweet aroma is proclaimed. And it says, to one, it's a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And he says, who's sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient to know that when you preach the gospel, you explain the gospel to a friend, and you realize this could be to their death, not their life. It's so gripping, it's so momentous to proclaim this gospel. But he says, in this light of proclaiming and it being life and death and the conflict that occurs and the resistance that occurs, because death to death many times meant death to the person who proclaimed, you see. I don't mean that literally that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the death of those who turn away, but in their turning away and their resisting, many times it's violent. He says, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. So this is is what Paul is bringing to bear here. In the presence of this God, of Jesus Christ. And he enlarges on this. This is the one, this Lord Jesus, who's coming to judge the living and the dead. Who else, who, whose judgment are you going to submit to? You know, wh- whose opinion are you going to submit to? He's coming to judge every human being, living or dead. Don't, don't regard anyone as more important than this Lord Jesus. And he brings forward his appearing and he brings forward his kingdom and he says, I charge you in the very, the very presence of his coming as though it were today. I charge you in the very presence of his kingdom as though you were experiencing it even now. And realize what you're about. He's, he's really calling him to what he says later about himself in verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but all those who've loved his appearing. And so the very hope that Paul had, he's laying it before Timothy and says, in the light of enjoying the reign with Jesus in his kingdom forever. Timothy preached the word. See? Because to turn from that, to compromise, to decide, I'm going to preach in a way that will make things more comfortable, that will make it easier for me, that won't start cut the corners. I'm not going to preach about hell. I'm not going to preach about judgment. I'm not going to preach about atonement because that offends a lot of people. Give up your kingdom, Timothy, in doing so. Don't do that. Don't compromise. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead. So, that's the arena of change. uh, The arena of this 
charge. And idea is, of course, this arena, this place is uh, the only place of safety and security. It's to define for you what safety and security is. It's to define for you the meaning and purpose, regardless of how people may react. This is to be the force uh, that shows you the necessity of obedience in proclaiming this word and the awful consequences of not obeying this word and preaching this word. And so the idea basically is, in the light of this, Timothy, let her rip. Okay? That's the uh, pedantic version of that. In view of all of this, Timothy. And then we have the heart of this charge then, after this arena is created by Paul. And it is, of course, preach the word. Earlier in Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 9, it's called the word of God. And in chapter 2, verse 15, it's called the word of truth. And that is behind what he says. He just simply says the word. But it is the word that's come from God. It is the word that is the truth itself. This is underscored later in the, that verse by the word teaching. And the emphasis of the word is also underlined by this phrase, be ready in season and out of season. So basically, this is the exhortation and everything else flows from it and is fixed to it, attached to it. Preach this word from God. Preach this word of truth. In other places, in 2 Timothy, uh, I've already mentioned that, but it's also called the word of truth. In Ephesians 1, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is Paul writing again. Uh, Or called the truth of the gospel. Uh, It's also called the grace of God in truth in Colossians. And so this Gospel is the truth. This gospel setting forth the fullness of Jesus Christ. As Paul says of himself, I am, have been called to set forth the unlimited riches of Christ. That's really the content of the gospel. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, truth is in Jesus. He is the centerpiece of this truth. It is setting him forth in all of his richness and his beauty even everything leading up to Christ in the Old Testament and everything that unfolds in Christ in the New Testament, this is the preaching of the truth. This is the preaching of the Word as Paul defines it. And it is a truth that must be believed. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, the wicked will be perishing or perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. And so this, this, we, we fall in love. We begin to have an affection for this teaching, this doctrine, this setting forth of the glory of Jesus Christ. To come to a knowledge of the truth is equated with being saved in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And later in 2 Timothy 2, he says to grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So repentance and being saved are connected to a knowledge of and a love for the truth. So the truth is the only way by which we can be saved. The truth as it is in Christ, the truth of the precious gospel, this must be proclaimed. And as he says, in season and out of season, it means 
It could mean when it's convenient for the preacher or inconvenient for the preacher, but more than likely, given what he says in verse 3, it's whether it's convenient or inconvenient for your hearers. Okay? Whether they want to hear it or they don't want to hear it. Whether your situation is easy and good and receptive or it's not so good and not so receptive, it doesn't matter. You be faithful and continue to preach the Word. That's the exhortation to him, the command to him. And it gives the essence of what he's been called to do. And it's filled out by these other statements to show that it has an edge to it. Reproof and rebuke are included. As well as exhortation, exhortation has to do with urgency. That it, 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 must, it must grip you because of the seriousness of the situation, because of the glory of the Christ you proclaim and the necessity for people to believe it. And so, you, you can't preach this without emotion, Timothy. You must urge it upon them. You must make them feel like they must believe these things. They must follow these things. You must show them how critical it is. And it means in reproving and rebuking that you specifically point out wrong. You specifically correct. You continue to do these things. In other words, preaching that has no reproof and rebuke, Paul would say, well, that's not preaching. If you're not correcting, if you're not pointing out so that people can continue to grow, people can continue to be released from sin and to walk in more and more of the grace of God. And he says this is to be done in all patience and teaching. Again, teaching underscoring the content, the rich content, but patience because of what's to follow, that People many times will refuse you. Many times you will have to deal with people that do not listen and turn away from the gospel, but continue patiently. It's interesting that earlier in chapter 2, he's dealing with uh, those who oppose the gospel, false teachers. And he says in chapter 2, verse 24, it's on the same page if you're here in the Pew Bible, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his his opponents with gentleness. So there's this combination of of gentleness and kindness in in the exhortation. The, The correcting and the rebuking is not to be done in a hateful way, in a way that feel like he's mad at me or he's angry or he's, he's throwing out thunderbolts up there and doesn't care who gets it, you know. But it's to have that sense of urgency and love and brokenheartedness and, and even humility of one who has himself to taste of this grace in order to proclaim it. You know. How can it be proclaimed with urgency if one is not tasting it himself? And Knowing one's own sinful tendencies allows you to be patient with others even as you urge the truth upon them. So you get a picture, don't you, in this this verse, this one verse of verse 2 to give a kind of portrait of what a minister is to be and to do and even his attitude because with complete patience and teaching is to say this is the way it is to be done with this patience and with this rich content as you hold forth that word. And of course, the reason is given here that 
there will come a time when people will refuse this word. There will come a time when people uh, will not listen at all to this word. <clears throat> it, this word, when it says, <clears throat> a time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, will not listen willingly uh, to sound teaching. And the idea of itching ears, ears <clears throat> may be better translated tickling ears because they're accumulating teachers to suit their own passions. It means they're getting teachers that agree with their own desires, uh, hand-picked, you know, hand-picked to hear the kind of things you want to hear. You don't want to hear about judgment, then find a church that doesn't preach judgment. You know, that's the idea. I don't really like to hear about the bloody atonement of Jesus and all that stuff. I just want to think of Jesus as my friend and that he just comes alongside and helps me through the day. That's the kind of Jesus I want. Well, you could probably find that kind of Jesus proclaimed somewhere, okay? Who's not the judge of the earth. Who didn't say, out of the heart of man come the greatest evils. Find your own Jesus somewhere. Somebody will proclaim it for you. That's the feel here. That people will turn away from the truth specifically because they want to hear something different. They want to be allowed to live certain lifestyles. They want to be allowed to believe certain things and to have a God that fits that. Sometimes you've heard people say, well, my God isn't like that. You know, like you've got a private God that you carry around, you know, you just carry him around your pocket and say, well, no, no, that's not my God. That's not my God. He, no, he doesn't, he doesn't send people to hell. That's, that's not my God. You know, for instance, I... I love that. I didn't love it, but I mean, it was an amazing statement in one church, uh, Marquis, that says, so-and-so, whatever church, where God is always good. (laughs) I don't know where he is everywhere else, but here he's always good. You know, it's like we have have a little market on God in our place here. And, And I don't know what kind of God's out there, but we've got this kind of God. Well, obviously, we have... And I'll tell you, the Word of God is difficult. It is difficult. I've struggled with it. I've wept over it. I've cried out to God for who He reveals Himself to be sometimes. Because He's a hard God. He's a holy God. He's infinitely gracious and merciful. In fact, I can only appreciate His infinite grace and mercy as I understand His holiness and justice But he is not an easy God, especially he's not an easy God for us sinners because we so much in us resist the true God. I mean, that's our very nature as sinners to resist the true God, to resist real salvation and the cost of it and the humility of it, the brokenness to have to say, I am lost. I must have God save me from A to Z. And so we'll find anything else but that. We'll find somebody that promises us health and wealth. Find somebody that teaches a positive attitude is what you need and throws out little ditties all through the sermon with a smile. And it's disgraceful. It's undermining. It's a spirit of a demon coming forth, Scripture would say, for someone to completely turn against and say, I don't preach about Christ crucified. 
I don't preach about judgment. I don't preach about hell. And so, I urge anyone here, don't accumulate for yourself teachers on the internet, on TV, anywhere else that are not pointing you specifically to the Word and preaching the Word. And yes, we, we want to be like Paul, who say, says, in, uh, or like the Bereans, we want you to be like the Bereans, where it says they were much more noble than the Thessalonians because they took the things of Paul and they examined the Scriptures to see if they were true. So we want you to examine the Scriptures. We, we want to, and if you feel like at any point we've told you something that's not in the Scriptures, please come to us and talk to us about that. We, we strive with, with all of our being to try to humble ourselves to receive the Word and to teach the Word as God gives it to us. Not that we always have it right, of course, but we, that's our effort. I'm just saying that don't go anywhere, don't listen to anybody, that that's not their effort to try to give you the unadulterated Word of God. But we all have the tendency to want to change God, to edge Him to something that's more convenient, more in keeping with our desires. And so that really is the urgency of the charge. He says, for the time is coming. For the time is coming. That's why, Timothy, you must preach the word. The idea is not that he's saying the time is coming 2,000 years from now, but you're going to face the time. You are facing the edge of the time even now, Timothy. And, of course, the church has seen it throughout its history. Uh, we're just racked from cults and false teaching, left and right, every turn. <laughs> and uh, apparently it's not going to end until Jesus comes. And, and it calls for a brokenness and a humility on the part of all of us to say, Oh, Lord, give us your word. Give us your word because we have the same hearts that are given to deception and only your spirit will, will cause us to teach your word. And I'm thankful for the thousands of pulpits and the thousands of, of ministries that are faithfully proclaiming the word. Oh, praise God that around the world the word is being proclaimed in truth. And we thank God for that. I don't in any way want to say, of course, that our denomination or uh, certainly not this church, no, but we're part of thousands who are faithfully proclaiming the word we, we hope to be. Um, well, he ends then. He talks about how they, they refuse to listen to the truth. They wander off into myths, things that aren't true, things that are not according to reality. And, and then he just ends... Therefore, be sober-minded. Don't be drunk spiritually. Endure suffering, assuming that your preaching will cause suffering of some kind. And in different situations and throughout the world, we know that uh, preaching has caused much suffering. However merciful I have had it in my life. And then do the work of evangelists that the, the preaching should always address the uh, people who are lost and then outside of that, extended efforts to uh, bring people to Christ. And then the final word, fulfill your ministry, the ministry that you're called to. Fulfill it. And so there's this arena of the charge. There's the heart of the charge, preaching the word. There's this 
urgency of the charge because so many will turn away. And so even now, capture their hearts, proclaim the word that they might not turn away. And then the final conclusion of the charge in verse verse 5. And so I would ask you, each of you, I think here is an application for each one of us, is that we all have a personal longing for the truth, a personal commitment to the truth. And Scripture not only teaches that we must believe the truth in order to be saved, but it talks about the character of those who refuse the truth. Just like this, the reason that they're refusing the truth is because they want teaching to suit their passions. And so, Second Peter 1, he says, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, let me read. Yeah, first, first it, it is, Second Peter 1. After talking about all of these character traits in chapter 1, he says... I want to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Interesting that the truth is not just doctrine per se, but it's doctrine as it applies to how you live. That's the truth, you see. The truth is a whole life that is called, that it, that it calls you to. A whole perspective, a whole way to think and speak and live that the truth calls you to. And so in 2 Thessalonians 2, he speaks of those who will be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, Why didn't they believe the truth? Because they didn't want to abandon their wickedness. And no matter how glorious and wonderful this truth of Christ is, no, I refuse Him because I want what I want. I want what I have. And I'm going to continue to hold on to these things. And so in James, he says, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, that would be false to the truth. So the truth is that all of what it calls you to do, to live out, to obey, that's why many, uh, many times it said to obey the truth. Second Peter, many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And then I love in 1 John, where we read a portion of this, uh, but he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But later he says, if we close our heart against our neighbor, how does God's love live in us? So his truth being in us and his love being in us are comparable. And he says, we know we're of the truth when we love one another. So you see, truth is just not believing the right things. But truth is living a whole new life according to the truth. It's to live out love uh, by obeying and submitting to this gospel that causes us to trust in Christ and His forgiveness. And then we begin to live out a new love and forgiveness. Then we're obeying the truth. We're obeying the gospel. The gospel has to engage us and transform our thinking and living so that we live in accordance to that gospel, living out a life of love, even as Christ loved us. That's obedience to the truth. 
It's interesting that Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Whatever you name, you know, well, I just love him. That's why I did it. No, love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the revelation of Christ and the unsearchable riches of Christ. Love rejoices in living out that love of Christ. That's what love does. And by God's grace, he makes us to believe and obey that truth. So pray more and more and more that the gospel will be faithfully proclaimed here, throughout our denomination, throughout churches in this world. It is our only hope. Let us pray. Lord, bless us that we will hear your truth, that we will long for your truth, we will love your truth, that we will believe your truth, that we will obey your truth, Lord. We pray that the beauty of your truth will take hold in our lives. We pray Paul's command that we let the Word of God dwell among us richly, the Word of God, the Word of Christ to indwell our communion, our fellowship, our church, to take over all parts of our lives and our relationships O Lord, for that word to permeate with its beauty everything that we are, all that we think and say and do. No, Lord, make me faithful. Make us as elders faithful. Make uh, Ryan faithful as he proclaims the gospel at TCU. Uh, Make us faithful in all the our Presbyterian North Texas and our whole denomination and our missions throughout the world. Make other fellowships. Lord, Baptists, Episcopalians, uh, Methodists, we, I thank you for my own uh, father of my daughter-in-law who's a faithful uh, Methodist minister proclaiming the word and having a mighty effect in what has been a liberal denomination. Lord, we thank you for those who are standing for the truth worldwide, many paying the cost, terrible costs. Lord, may we proclaim the word in season and out of season for your glory and honor. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?